impartial justice. After months of buildup, President Trump's impeachment trial begins with legal teams preparing through the weekend. The House's hour is over. The Senate's time is at hand. What are both sides revealing about their strategies? One of the attorneys speaking for the president, Alan Dershowitz, is next. And House Manager Congressman Jason Crow in moments. And ground rules. The trial will put all 100 U.S. senators on the record, with new potentially damaging information about the case still emerging. Will senators vote to hear more? To have no witnesses would be a dramatic break with precedent. Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown joins me coming up. Plus, jury duty. Four presidential candidates are forced off the campaign trail just two weeks before Iowans vote. Between you and me, I would prefer to be in Iowa. The impact of the Senate impeachment trial on the first contest of 2020. Keeler in for Jay Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is bracing for a fight. And we begin this morning with our first look at what the Senate trial of President Donald J. Trump will look like. Last night, the House impeachment managers filed a legal brief urging senators to consider their place in history and remove the president from office for conduct they called, quote, the framer's worst nightmare, arguing President Trump put his own political interests above the country's and poses a threat to national security. And for the first time, the president's legal team laid out their initial strategy full of attacks on House Democrats, accusing them of, quote, a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and denying the charges in the articles of impeachment brought against the president, saying the president's dealings with Ukraine were, quote, perfectly legal and entirely appropriate. Joining me now, one of the attorneys who will speak on behalf of the president in the Senate trial, Alan Dershowitz. He's the author of the book, The Case Against Impeaching Trump as well as his former law student, CNN chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin. Thank you both for being with us. And Alan, President Trump listed your name on a press release of his, quote, Senate trial counsel. You've said that you're not, quote, a full-fledged member of his legal team. So which is it? Both. I am a member of the legal team. I'm making what could be the most important argument on the floor of the Senate, namely that even if everything that is alleged by the House managers is proven or taken as true, they would not rise to the level of an impeachable offense. I will be paraphrasing the successful argument made by Justice Benjamin Curtis in the trial of Andrew Johnson back in the uh, 1860s, uh, where he argued that the framers intended for impeachable conduct only to be criminal-like conduct or conduct that is prohibited by the criminal law. Yeah. I mean, isn't aren't what you're really doing, Alan, is trying to sort of elevate yourself beyond being a lawyer as sort of a neutral expert. But you're just a lawyer. No, and there's I'm nothing wrong with that. But I'm, you're just I'm a just, lawyer representing I'm the just representing a, lawyer. a client. I'm, I'm just a lawyer. I've done this a dozen times. I've been of counsel in many cases solely on the constitutional issue. That is, I present the constitutional you, issue. But I'm uh, not involved in the day-to-day But you haven't argued on the floor of the Senate whether, dozens of times or a dozen times. No, I actually was on the Florida Senate once on behalf of once. Senator Alan Cranston so who, many but, years ago. Okay, but, but in this know, case, very I, few I, people I, have argued. I just, I want to make Go this ahead. clear yeah. because I, I'm not seeing this clearly, Alan. Who hired you? I was asked by the president's defense team to become of counsel 
on the specific issue of the criteria, the constitutional criteria for impeachment. That's a very important issue. I will be making that argument as an advocate, not as an expert witness. I will be advocating against impeachment of this president based on the constitutional criteria in the Constitution, the framers' uh, debates, the Federalist Papers, the history of the three prior impeachment cases, the scholarly um, arguments that have been made on all sides. I will be presenting a very strong argument. If you want a prelude of my argument, read the great uh, speech of Justice Benjamin Curtis, who, remember, was the Supreme Court justice who dissented in uh, Dred Scott. And he made the successful argument in front of the Senate that in order for a president to be impeached, and Johnson was impeached on charges that didn't include criminal conduct, he argued successfully to the Senate that criminal like conduct is required. That argument prevailed. I will be making that argument as a lawyer on behalf of the president's defense team against impeachment. That's my role. It's very clear. I've done it before. It's a common role that lawyers play to be specialized lawyers of counsel on particular constitutional issues. So, and that's what I'll be doing. I mean, I think of it like special teams on a football team then, perhaps. You're still on the team. Very important that's to know. That's fine. Jeffrey, I'm the kicker. I'm the kicker. Right, and the I kicker. can win the, I can you kick can win the, the field game. goal that wins the game. That's right. Jeffrey. Right. Well, I, I mean, you know, I think we're playing semantic games to a certain extent, but I think we should be you very are. clear. What what Alan is doing is making an argument against witnesses, because what Alan is saying, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that even if everything that the defend, the def, Democrats allege is true, there's still no impeachable offense here. So that means well, that's there's right. no need for witnesses. Isn't that right? No, that's that's that, that's partly right. I mean, if a person is indicted uh, on something that's not a crime, you don't call witnesses. But the House still has the ability to go back and call witnesses, reframe the articles of impeachment in order to set out impeachable offenses. We're only doing under the one, impeach one impeachment at a time. Should there be, Alan, right, should yeah. there be fact okay, witnesses right. in a Senate trial, Alan? Well, that's a matter for the Senate. The Constitution doesn't speak to that issue. It just simply says the Senate is the sole determinant of guilt. They will have to determine whether to call witnesses. The one thing the Constitution wouldn't think? require is if witnesses are called on one side, they have to be called on the other side. What I would think is wait until after all the opening arguments are made. Let's see if witnesses are called for. And if they are, the trial will take a much longer time because the Democrats will call John Bolton the president will invoke executive privilege. It will have to go to the courts. The courts will resolve it. The reason the Democrats didn't call well, John many, but, Bolton but Alan, and didn't if I may, have many to, of, let me finish. Many, well, let me just note, but on executive privilege, many of sure. the conversations, the relevant ones John Bolton had about Mick Mulvaney, about Gordon Sondland with Fiona Hill, had not. they were not with the president. There are many things he can testify well, to that don't aren't governed and, by and executive privilege. And, and, the courts, and the courts will determine that. The courts may determine that he has to testify and question by question, executive privilege can be invoked and tested. All I'm saying is if that happens, the trial will be delayed. I don't think we're in a position now to know whether witnesses will be called. If my argument succeeds, if my argument prevails that there is no impeachable offense charge, you know, Mr. Tubin is right. Uh, then there is no need for witnesses. If my argument fails, right. then perhaps witnesses would have well, to be called. And, and I think that's the, that's the key point, is that, you know, Alan's, right. Alan's argument 
is not just against impeachment. It's against witnesses. And uh, you can be sure that's how it will be used uh, by his fellow Republican, you know, by by. The, I agree with uh, that. If my yeah, I agree with that. If my argument succeeds, there's no need for witnesses. Indeed, there's no need for even arguments, any further arguments. If the House charges do not include impeachable offenses, that's really the end of the matter. And the Senate should vote to acquit or even to dismiss. Now, that motion is not going to be made. It was made in the Clinton case. Remember, I was involved in the Clinton case. I was a witness for Clinton. I consulted with the Clinton uh, team. I was also uh, expressed very strong views about the Nixon impeachment. I've been consistent in my views on impeachment since the 1970s. That's more than I can say for some of my other academic colleagues who seem to uh, be uh, making their arguments based on partisan considerations. Is, is, I'm a liberal Alan, Democrat. Alan, let's talk about making Clinton this argument a in a nonpartisan it, way. Yeah. Isn't isn't the real point of why you opposed you opposed uh, Bill Clinton's impeachment is that it was not an abuse of presidential power to lie about no. Monica Lewinsky under oath? No, is, absolutely and isn't that not. The, well, let me not. finish. Let me finish. Isn't the okay. point of impeachment to police a president's power? Not just any wrongdoing, but the fact that a, only a, you or I cannot withhold aid from Ukraine. Only a president can right. do that. And that's why it can be an abuse of power if he does it for improper purposes. Bill Clinton was well, not abusing presidential power. That's not the reason I opposed his impeachment. I opposed his impeachment because it didn't allege an impeachable offense. It didn't allege a high crime. It alleged a low crime a crime much like the one Hamilton committed when he was the Secretary of Treasury, when he committed adultery and paid hush so money. Is it, Those is, are not impeachable offenses. Let me, be, let me make one important point, because okay. I'm going to make this on the floor of the Senate, too. And that is, there is a confusion between the reasons for having impeachment. And those include, we don't want to see presidents who are dishonest. We don't want to see presidents who abuse their power. That's all true. But then when it comes to coming up with the criteria for impeachment, we don't use terms like dishonesty or abuse or maladministration or malpractice. We have to focus in on specific criteria to avoid weaponization of impeachment. So there's an enormous difference between the reasons we have impeachment on the one hand and the criteria for impeachment. So are you saying that it's not necessarily? Are you saying that it's not necessarily that what the president did? was not wrong or rising to a certain level. It's actually just that House Democrats mislabeled it, that they've labeled it in a no. way that could make this weaponized because it's too general or it's not uh, fitting the criteria that you think it should. Well, not that I think it should, that the Constitution thinks it should, that Justice Curtis thinks it should, and that the framers of the Constitution think it should. The reason that they came up with abuse of power and obstruction And there's debate on that, I should say. Is that yeah. And, and the reason they came up with those is they could not uh, honestly get a majority to charge bribery, treason or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So they went back to obstruction and to abuse. And those do not fit the constitutional criteria. Alan, that's, that's the argument true. I'll Alan, make. I think it's important for I think it's important for that argument to be heard by the Senate. Uh, uh, Let the course, senators decide uh, whether my view prevails or the views of others are, are, are uh, of better. Of course, yeah. the House said that these these were high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think it's important that everyone know that the argument you're making that the president has to commit in, in a sense, a criminal offense, a violation of a, a commit a crime in order to be impeached 
has never been That's adopted. That's what Curtis said. Well, that may be yes, what, it has I, what been. Curtis said. No, you're said. just it, dead Alan, wrong. In, 1970, in 1974, the the House committee, the uh, the Judiciary Committee, wrote an entire report saying there was no reason that impeachable offenses do not have to be crimes. That's a committee report. That's but, what, you it, said it was never adopted. The Senate refused to remove Andrew Johnson because Justice Curtis successfully argued that you need a crime. Without Alan, a crime, not, there can I mean, be I, no impeachment. That's what Curtis argued. That's what the Senate concluded. That is the only governing precedent that we have for an actual trial in the Senate. You can in, argue all you want about what the uh, what the committee put into a report that's not binding. What's binding is what the Senate did, what the actual outcome of the case was, what Curtis argued, who was the most distinguished constitutional scholar of his day, the okay, dissenter in Dred Scott. And you're dismissing that. Jeff. Uh, I, I, the, the idea that the argument made by one lawyer in 1868 is somehow binding on on senators, you know, 200 years, uh, almost 150 binding, years later, persuasive, but, but, but not binding, was, but persuasive. Every, every scholar except okay. you has looked at this issue about whether it has to be a crime in order to be an impeachable offense has said no. Whether it's looking at Alan, Alexander Hamilton in we'll 1860, at the Harvard, in, in Alan, Federal 65. I, no, I, I mean, come on. I, I want to interject here. The Harvard Law Review had an article in, 19, in 2018, okay. which took the Curtis view and took my view. Others have taken the Curtis view and my view. Look, Gentlemen, it's important for the Senate to hear I, all these Alan, views. Alan, Let them hear and decide. And they yeah, will hear and decide. They will hear and decide. And Alan, I, I have an important question that I want to ask you about. This sure. is more about from a public Please. opinion standpoint. You are on sure. the defense team. Ken Starr is on the defense team. You both represented some controversial figures, among them. That's our job. That's, that's right. That's Jeffrey Epstein, the two of you are integral in coming to a lenient plea deal in Florida that has gotten a lot of attention, has been very controversial. That's our job. Yep. Sure. That, that was your job in the case of your client, Jeffrey Epstein. Do you think that the two of you being a part of this, considering how unpalatable uh, an association, a legal association with Jeffrey Epstein is that that actually could backfire and not serve the president. Well, look, I also defended O.J. Simpson and Klaus von Bülow and Michael Milken and Mike Tyson. And uh, you go back in time. I've defended some of the most controversial people in American history. That's what lawyers do. That's what Clarence Darrow did. That's what John no, sure Adams they did. Do, but in, 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 the the of, in the case of Jeffrey, it, Alan, in the case of Jeffrey Epstein and in those other ones that you state, the uh, victim or alleged victim, all women, you have a number of senators, including female senators, and a lot of their constituents who are female who may look at that and they may not like that association. Do you think it will backfire? They understand that, no, they understand that it's pure McCarthyism to hold a lawyer responsible for having represented controversial clients under the Sixth Amendment. It's what lawyers do. It's what lawyers should do. I'm very proud of my role as a defense lawyer. I did nothing wrong in any of those cases, and I will proceed to make my argument in this case without concern for what people think about who I represented in the past. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. And that's who I will continue to be as long as the good Lord gives me strength to defend people who you don't like and I don't like sometimes. 
Alan, thank you so much. Jeffrey, thank you so much to both of you for this very important conversation. We will see how this all unfolds next week. And next up, one of the jurors in the president's trial, Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, will join me. And he is a former Army Ranger who did not want Nancy Pelosi to be House Speaker, but now he's one of the Democrats she chose to make the case against President Trump. Stay with us. State of the Union. I'm Brianna Keeler. And in their first legal brief filed last night, the House impeachment managers make the case for calling new witnesses in the Senate trial, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton. The full Senate is expected to vote this week on whether to agree to call witnesses now or defer a decision until later in the trial. Joining me now is a juror in the Senate trial, Ohio Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Senator, thank you for joining us this Sunday. Good to be with you, Brown. Thank you for having me. Uh, you and Democrats, you want witnesses. You want witnesses in the Senate trial now. And Republicans are unanimous, uh, even if they don't want witnesses, that if there are witnesses, they would come later. Would you vote against any rules package that doesn't include calling witnesses now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you justify not calling witnesses and not introducing new information if it's if it's. Um, related to this trial that has an impact on it. I, I'm not a lawyer, and but I, I and the whole country overwhelmingly understands you have the prosecutor is the House managers, the defense is the president's lawyers, including some of the people you've interviewed. Uh, and then you have, for a real trial, you have witnesses and you have new evidence. Or, um, and and I, everybody understands that. It's a sham trial without it. And I don't know how they make the case. And I, you know, I hear the president over and over saying that the, the House was unfair, that it's all hearsay. Well, then bring in the people who were in the room. If the president's innocent, then they will exonerate him and we'll all vote not to convict. But bring the people, bring the eyewitnesses that were in the room when the infraction. I mean, it's clear the president was undermining democracy, what he did. There's little doubt in people's minds. But before I know how I'm going to vote, I want to hear the president's side. But I also want to hear witnesses and see the new evidence. So you you will vote against something that does not include a chance to see witnesses straight away. You just heard Alan Dershowitz. He, he is a lawyer and obviously he's key in this defense team. He said that if there are witnesses, even later on the part of Democrats, you want to hear, for instance, from John Bolton, there will then be witnesses he would expect called by Republicans. They could easily call Hunter Biden. Are you prepared for that? Fine. I think you bring in, we're taking, we take the position that we want to hear from witnesses. I, I don't know what Hunter Biden has to do with the phone call. But you're fine hearing from him. Or the, I'm, I'm fine with hearing. I mean, I understand. I, yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I understand both sides get to call witnesses. I'm not sure that a lot of Republicans think, I mean, I think many Republicans think that's a distraction. That's what Republican senators tell me quietly. Republican senators also quietly tell me this president um, is a bigot and tell me this president lies a lot. They don't say that publicly, but I guess that's beside the point for this trial. But but the facts are, we the, the point is we need witnesses. We need to know who they are and with the right to call witnesses, additional witnesses later, but I, I don't understand how you can, to the American public, make the case that this is a real trial 
if there are no witnesses and there is no new evidence, just look at the GAO report last Let week. Me, I want to ask. I want to ask you about Leb Parnas, uh, sure. one of the indicted sure. associates of Rudy Giuliani. Do you want him to testify? I I'm not. I I assume we want him to testify. I know we want Bolton. I know we want people who are in the room. Um, I don't have strong feelings yet until I hear from the House managers and what they want to see. But I assume why not have witnesses that that have a lot of information about this. So I think Parnas makes sense. I, I find it interesting that all of these are Trump friends, all of them, many of them appointed by Trump, and he does, the president doesn't want these people to testify, um, and they were in the room, and Parnas is well, also an ally. And Republicans Parnas would, obviously. He's got a lot of documents, some of which seem like they would very much benefit Democrats, but some Republicans, even you know, Alan Dershowitz has basically said, have Lev Parnas on. This is someone who's a very complicated witness is a way that you could understate it, and this is someone who could actually backfire on Democrats. But what would you want to know from him? Well, I, I don't think the right, the right um, analysis is does it backfire. The analysis should be who's going to bring new information to the trial, who's going to shed light in the, in the dark corners of what happened, who was in the room, who had firsthand information. If it backfires and it shows the president's innocent, then that's, that's what happens in trials. We, I, I go into this, unlike McConnell and Graham, I go in, Lindsey Graham and Leader McConnell, I don't go in with a preconceived notion. I thought the president should have been impeached because clearly he tried to, to he, he offered a bribe, tried to bribe a foreign official for his own campaign, but before I decide how I vote next week or the following week or next month or whenever it is, I owe it to taking that oath to listen to the evidence, listen to the president's response, and listen to witnesses. So no matter what the witnesses say, we still ought to have them. I don't know what Bolton's going to say. I don't know what Parnas would say. I don't know what others in the room would say, but they'll shine light on a process. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but how how do you, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want more information and more illumination of, of this very, Look, very, very important trial. It is very important. Um, I want to turn now to the presidential campaign. Senator Warren says Senator Sanders told her during a 2018 meeting, you're familiar with this, that a woman couldn't win the election. Sanders denies that. But take a listen to this tense exchange after the CNN debate on Tuesday night. I think you called me a liar on national TV. What? I think you called me a liar on national you know, TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that Any discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it I'm now. Not, I don't want to get in the middle of it. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. All right, so you've served closely uh, for years with both of these senators. What do you make of this? Um, I, I stand with Tom Steyer and just wanting to say hi. I don't, um, you know, I, I don't know who's, I, I think they both heard what they heard. I, I don't believe for a moment, I don't think Bernie thinks that a woman can't win. Uh, I think that under the pressures of presidential race that tempers sometimes flare. I like them both. I've known Bernie since we served in the House together. We came to the Senate on the same day in 2007. I've worked with Elizabeth when she was working with the banking committee as a citizen mm-hmm. to try to get the Consumer Bureau um, I, I think we're going to beat Trump in large part because we're going to make the contrast that we're for working families and Trump has betrayed workers over and over you and s- over you again. Say, I, I'm and sorry I, to interrupt I'm you, but you say that. we're going to win. Even if it's a woman, you think a woman can win? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. A woman can win. No question. I think we I think the Democrats will nominate somebody. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, if it's going to be a man or a woman. I think there'll be a woman on the ticket for sure, um, either president or vice president. And I am confident that when we make that contrast between Democrats, the party of workers and Republicans and Trump, the party that has betrayed workers on overtime and minimum wage and trade agreements and and organizing unions and all that, um, the election will be clearing, including in my state. Trump won my state by eight and a half. I won it by seven and a half. We will keep those anti-Trump voters and people supporting the Democratic nominee in 2020. Senator Sherrod Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. President Trump's legal team, of course, President Trump's legal team is revealing their strategy to defend the president. One of the impeachment managers arguing for his removal will respond next. How are you? Hey, Senator, thank you Thanks. so much. We really appreciate you joining Thanks. us today. Fun, fun to do. Have a great Glad Sunday. You're today. Thanks. Hi, how are you? Thanks, Very it. nice to yeah, meet you. you.
Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Brianna Keeler. As House Democrats work through the weekend to prepare for the Senate trial, perhaps the most unexpected impeachment manager is Congressman Jason Crow. He's a former Army Ranger and attorney who flipped a Republican seat to win in Colorado. And he went from not supporting Nancy Pelosi's bid for House Speaker to becoming one of her choices to prosecute the case against President Trump. Joining me now is Colorado Congressman Jason Crow. Congressman, thank you so much for being here. Good morning. Good to be on. Uh, so just last night, you saw this, the Trump legal team put out a scathing six-page uh, six response to your impeachment trial memo, calling impeachment, quote, brazen and unlawful, quote, highly partisan and reckless. And it says that President Trump categorically and unequivocally denies each and every allegation. And it says that neither article of impeachment even constitutes an impeach uh, an impeachable offense at all. What's your response to that? Well, my response is, you know, this fits the president's pattern. You know, he, he continues to deflect off of his own behavior, uh, trying to attack the messenger. Uh, my immediate response is, you know, let's call the witnesses then. You know, he has said that his call was a perfect call. He has said that he's done nothing wrong. So let's have the people that are in the best position to confirm that come in and testify before the U.S. Senate. Uh, it's what over 70 percent of the American people are asking for. The president deserves a fair trial. The American people deserve a fair trial. So let's have that fair trial. Uh, when you found out you were an impeachment manager, was this a complete surprise to you? I was surprised. I, I hadn't been uh, lobbying for this. Uh, you know, was called in to, to speak with the leadership. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was surprised to be asked. I was uh, humbled to be asked to represent my colleagues uh, in the, uh, the House of Representatives in the country uh, during this really important trial. And as I just mentioned, in 2019, you did not support Speaker Pelosi as she sought the speakership. I wonder now, in retrospect, now you are one of these key Democrats in impeachment. Do you feel differently about the judgment that she's displayed through this process? Well, I've always had a, a fantastic relationship with Speaker Pelosi, and she's done a really great job over the past year navigating the House through a very difficult, very challenging time. Uh, you know, she's uh, led in a, a, very, uh, a, a very thoughtful way. And I think what the selection of these managers shows is that politics doesn't play a part. You know, the speaker has wanted to, to put a team together that represents the diversity of this country, the diversity of the caucus, uh, who can bring the case, uh, make the case uh, regarding national security, abuse of power, uh, and, and all of the things the president did, and, and make that case in a good way. You want witnesses? Do you want Lev Parnas, the indicted associate of Rudy Giuliani, who's provided a bunch of documents, some of which are incredibly helpful for Democrats, but he's maybe someone with a credibility issue, to say the least. Well, I'm not going to get into any one particular witness. I can say the managers are meeting and talking regularly uh, with our team, uh, considering who are the best witnesses to bring that case. Uh, we have to look at uh, the entire universe of potential witnesses. But, but is it on the table? Because Senator Sherrod Brown just said that he assumes that would be someone Democrats want to hear from. Yeah, all of the relevant witnesses are on the table. You know, what we have to do is make sure that we have documents, too. You know, this can't be the first... A trial in American history, the first impeachment trial in American history where we don't have documents and witnesses produced by the president. Could you use documents from Lev Parnas without hearing testimony from Lev Parnas? Uh, that is a possibility. I mean, uh, we, uh, what we have to do is we have to assess all the time both documents and witnesses. And in many instances, like any trial, documents are a great way to assess credibility. But if you include documents and not the testimony, then people will say it's because you don't think that the witness is credible. Well, all of this is based on the Senate allowing witnesses. You know, we can talk about hypotheticals all day long about which witnesses to call, when to call them, 
whether or not to have witnesses or documents or documents to corroborate those witnesses, all of those hypotheticals. But all of this goes back to the Senate allowing witnesses in the Senate allowing documents. That is the Senate's decision because the jurors in this case, the senators are both the trier of fact, but they also establish the rules. So it's time for them to establish fair rules. Do you think that President Trump committed bribery? You know, I think uh, the president did a lot of things that abused his power. But bribery, you know, specifically. He, yeah, specifically, you know, he did attempt to bribe and uh, coerce a foreign government official. And why, case, why isn't that an Ukraine. article? You know, we have to look, look at the entire context of what happened here. Yeah, that's what this is about. This is about the abuse of power. It's about jeopardizing our national security, our troops. It's about undermining our free and fair elections. You know, the broad context of the pattern of this president is what's really important. And that's why we proceeded with impeachment. You could have had bribery as an article and then abuse of power as an article. For instance, Alan Dershowitz is going to argue on the Senate floor, as he basically just stated, that, I mean, bribery is in the Constitution when it comes to impeachment. He will argue or will certainly feel that you Democrats would have had a much better case to actually say bribery if you thought it was bribery. You all said bribery. There have been talking points where Democrats are saying this is bribery, and yet it wasn't an article of impeachment. Was that a mistake, considering what Alan Dershowitz is going to argue? No, absolutely not. You know, let, let's broaden back out here and talk about what's really going on here. That The president's team is trying to say, you know, that the president can't be indicted because it's a DOJ policy that a standing president or a sitting president can't be indicted. At the same time, they're also making arguments that the House of Representatives and Congress cannot subpoena documents of witnesses, uh, that we can't bring an impeachment case, uh, that, you know, uh, it has to be a crime, uh, that high crimes and misdemeanors do not uh, do not include uh, abuse of power and abuse of the public trust. So if all of the president's arguments are true, that a president can't be indicted, that uh, the abuse of power and abuse of public trust doesn't constitute impeachable offense, if that is true, then no president uh, can be held accountable, that the president truly is above the law. So those arguments can't possibly be true. They can't stand because then our entire system of checks and balances wouldn't hold. Congressman Jason Crow, thank you so much yeah. for joining us this thank Sunday. You, Brianna. All right, have a good one. And Republican senators have been finding all sorts of creative ways of avoiding questions about the president's trial, but that ends Tuesday. Welcome back. President Trump's legal team filed their first official answers to the articles of impeachment last night. This is a six-page document that calls the articles of impeachment, quote, constitutionally invalid and said that, quote, this is a brazen and unlawful attempt to overturn the results of the 2016 election and interfere with the 2020 election now just months away. Let's bring in our experts to discuss this. Karen Finney, what is your reaction to that <laughs> statement, to this six pages? Uh, nice try. But I think it's very clear to most of us that the evidence is there in terms of these articles of impeachment, that the president abused his power. And I would expect nothing less than for him. I'm actually surprised the language wasn't a bit more flowery coming from President Trump. You disagree with Karen, obviously, Congressman Walls. Just slightly. Uh, (laughs) But look, at the end of the day, I think it raises some great points that we need to take a close look at. Uh, We cannot have a situation where we where the legislative branch can demand pretty much anything it wants from the executive, any of the president's closest advisors, particularly when it has to do with foreign policy, 
And if he doesn't provide those and we don't go to the courts to decide what executive privilege is, as we have done since George Washington's time, then therefore he can be impeached. The bar should be so incredibly high. And right now we are lowering it. This comes across as partisan. Uh, I think the entire process is coming uh, across as partisan, uh, particularly with the gold-plated Pelosi celebration pins, the souvenir pins. I think that sent exactly the wrong message in terms of, gravitu- in terms of the uh, gravity. And I have to tell you, going home to Florida, I don't get asked about this at all. I get asked about the two potholes that people hit on the way to the town hall. I get asked about prescription drugs. I get asked about all kinds of other things, transportation and infrastructure. Not about this. I think, I, I think inside this bubble, we're following every twist and turn. But out there in America... Uh, they're, they're just not following this anymore. It's too much noise. But out there it's in been America, going on too long. And I think there's going to be a price to pay at the ballot box. Out there in America, a majority of Americans, 7 in 10 actually, believe that it, we need a fair trial. They want to hear the evidence. They yep. don't understand why the president would stop the truth from coming well, forward. Well, I think they don't so understand. If you're going to defend not letting the truth no, come forward, No, I think what they don't understand is how this has been muddled. There's no clear What's crime. It looks so uh, partisan. It looks so partisan. And, and as Pelosi herself, clear? Her, Pelosi herself said, it should be compelling. It should be bipartisan. And it should be very clear before well, we go down this Republicans road. Republicans aren't willing and to it's, do and it's their not job there. and defend and the Constitution, they're more loyal to their party. The, the major fight right here has to do uh, with impeachment, has to do with witnesses in the Senate trial. Republicans are not particularly keen to answer this question. Let's listen. Do you want witnesses? Sure. I want a fair trial. We will have a very hefty discussion about witnesses, but that will be later on. And we'll have to decide at that time. Do you think we're going to see witnesses or no? I think that on Tuesday, we will begin the process of going through the resolution. Mary Catherine Hamm, it's a it's a pretty simple question. Why does no one want to answer it? Um, Because I think their argument, which I think has some merit, is why didn't the House subpoena the witnesses that they wanted? They did not bother even to subpoena uh, Bolton. I think that was their job. I think it could have been adjudicated through the courts. They did not want it done that way because they wanted the timing to be faster. And then Pelosi sat on it for several weeks, which... I still don't understand the, the wisdom and behind she also that said, tactic. We don't have think, time for the courts. Yeah, she, exactly. Yeah, she said, we don't have time. This is so urgent. We don't have time. That was the explicit yeah. argument. Um, as far as bringing this as an impeachable uh, event, I think it doesn't have to be a crime. The House can make a calculation on that. I think it is wiser to be a crime um, lest you bring down the bar too low. And that's why I think you're seeing a pretty stagnant in the polls when it comes to removal. Governor McCullough. Yeah, I think, as Karen said, I said, most Americans would like to see witnesses. We'd like to see documents. There has been new evidence that has come out since, you know, the House took their action. And I think in a sense of fairness, they want to see witnesses up there. I think the Republicans got to be very careful as we go into this impeachment, that if they say, well, you know, sort of like old Sergeant Schultz, you know, I see nothing, that mm-hmm. they're going to sweep everything under the rug. People want to see their elected officials with a sense of independence. And you look at an Arizona Senate race or a Colorado Senate race, if it looks like there's no independence and they're just following the line here and protect President Trump under any circumstances, they will pray a price uh, at the polling booth this coming November. So I think they have to be very careful. I think people on a sense should say we ought to have witnesses. Let's do this. But if they say we'll have them later, doesn't that allow them to preserve it, that sense that voters that may get them want? through the first hurdle? And I hope ultimately common sense would dictate that let's have some witnesses come in. If Donald Trump and all of his associates continually say I did nothing wrong. 
then bring in the witnesses who will testify to the fact, Mulvaney and Bolton, who will testify, if you've done nothing wrong and you keep saying this, then let your witnesses come in to say, yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. But, Why won't they let the well, witnesses the, the issue, come in? The issue for Democrats is that, and the rules were set up like this from the beginning, that they control the House, but they do not control the Senate. And therefore, if you want something out of this Senate trial, you have to give something. And so there, that's why you have this discussion about these witnesses that Republicans might like to see. That's right. Just and the we leverage may, is the situation. And we may see them. And we have more ahead. Iowa voters are getting ready to weigh in. So how much could the next two weeks affect who they vote for? Stay with us. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. I don't want to get nailed. I just want to say hi, buddy. Yeah, good. Okay. Tom Steyer speaking for a lot of Democrats there. Um, Sanders said this week that he and Senator Warren have not spoken since their hot mic exchange. Let's talk about this. Uh, Okay, so this hasn't happened, right? But I just wonder, even as this feud has uh, simmered, Governor McAuliffe, is this bad for Democrats? What strikes you about this exchange? Well, I said this tonight uh, of the debate on CNN. I think Elizabeth Warren had a real opportunity to go back. She should have answered the question when Bernie talked in the debate. I think it would have been a transformational moment for her to say, no, here's what you said to me. But she didn't do it. She waited till after. Uh, but I think now we're past it with two weeks to go till I, two weeks from tomorrow. I don't think anybody cares right now. Let's talk about health care, prescription drug prices. We're two weeks to showtime. And these senators are in a real difficult position because you have a caucus coming up. The last two weeks, they are not there. This is when you do your get-out-the-vote rallies, you mobilize your voters. If I'm Biden or Buttigieg, I'm doing 15 events a day for the next two weeks. But, you know, Governor Terry, as I like to call you, yep. uh, I disagree. Because for a lot of women, and I do think that Senator Sanders and his campaign very much underestimate how much anger there still is on the part of a lot of women who... Whether it was the Bernie bros who attacked them and Senator Sanders did nothing to try. I mean, literally people were being threatened. It was vicious in 2016. Oh, you're saying they're still angry the next two weeks going forward. I'm saying that what I think his campaign is an understanding is what's bad for him about this yeah. is this. He came into this race with a lot of baggage from 2016 about the way women were treated by the Bernie bros, by his campaign. I've spoken to women who worked on his campaign in 2016. It was not a welcoming environment for a lot of women. And so to then have that kind of exchange with Senator Warren, who a lot of us at least respect, even if you're not going to vote for her, you respect her, that doesn't look good for him. And that she should have called him out that night. Well, I think I, she was I camera trying in front to, of millions of people. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> look, I was like, I don't, I, I don't think yeah. about this. I have a, I mean, it's, I'm eating popcorn, but no, I'm willing to believe a lot of uh, unsavory things about Senator Sanders, um, I actually don't, it doesn't ring true to me that he believes a woman can't win the presidency. I don't think he's changed his mind about that. Your point is well taken about, uh, about how some of his supporters have treated women in the past. And I do, I do think there's probably anger about that. But look, there's two people in the room. I don't want to act naive about like, where this story might have come from. Probably not from the side that looks really bad during this exchange. And he should have just said, well, you called me a sexist on national TV. Um, we don't actually know. But like, we also do know that Senator Warren has stretched the truth on several major stories, uh, including her heritage, uh, the wine cave most recently, her employment in the past. Uh, that should be part of the calculation here. And the fact that this story 
seems to wildly benefit her and give her this moment in the spotlight to make the speech that she made. And we, we can't actually know what was said, but there is a possibility that as these, it's really amazing that these senators are going to come back, come off the trail, yeah. and then Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg have this tremendous opportunity to be there in Iowa. I wonder what you think about how the president views this congressman, because it seems like he's been more worried about Joe Biden yeah. as the biggest threat against him. And yet here Joe Biden is with an advantage because right. of President Trump's impeachment. Right. Uh, well, and, and there's a lot of people who believe and are saying now that one of the mystery reasons that Pelosi may have delayed saying, sending them over uh, was to sending the impeachment articles over was to tie down uh, some of these senators, which some are saying. You really is, think is that? Getting, Actually, do you really? I was burning. Do you really think that? However, I just do want you, to say, do, no, so, this okay, is, no, 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 don't. Some people are saying that. I have no idea do you why she think, did. But you I repeated no it. So what do you think so that is really a possibility? Here is, here is what I do believe. And whether it's this that the media is obsessed with seems to be or impeachment. What I hear over and over again, it's a bunch of politicians fighting, not affecting my life from voters, not doing anything for me. And what they are excited about is Dow approaching 30,000, two historic trade deals, uh, we just aver averted and a major escalation with Iran. We can go down. We can go down the list of things that are getting done. For, so from the president's perspective, he's putting points on the board. He's getting things done and he's going to continue to get things done. While meanwhile, we have these fights going on that are going to really play out over the next over the next. I, I Thank you. Nancy I, we have, we did have not to do leave this it. to help Joe Biden. I can, <laughs> Joe Biden has been <laughs> leading in the polls. Why did crushes she? Trump? Yeah, I don't, and why on that note, Florida, Ohio. No, I mean, I here is next gentlemen, is this has been this has been a tremendous conversation. <laughs> I'm glad it ended this way as well. Thank you <laughs> all of you so much. Fareed Zakaria is next. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.